Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. Hello, my people. I have decided that for three or four episodes, I'm going to read my book aloud, uh, Revolution of Mercy. The other books that I've read aloud have been have been quite popular as a podcast episode. So I thought maybe I would read Revolution of Mercy aloud. If I end up doing this on, on uh, video, I'm just holding it up here so you guys can see it. Uh, I wrote this in, I don't know, around five, no, eight years ago. Look at that, 2015. I'll just start with the the forward because, I don't know, I think that kind of matters. A dedication, first of all. At the time of this first publication, December 2015, we still have our three youngest children living at home. They have taught me so much and I cherish this time with them. And so I dedicate this little book to them. Noah Joseph, Abel Benedict, and to my little daughter, Lydia Claire Aquinas. I also dedicate this book to my beautiful mom. Patricia Burnett, who went home to heaven this year in deepest gratitude for instilling in me love, joy, and playfulness. I miss you, Mom. Dear readers, please know that I pray for you daily. I wrote this book because I want to promote and support strong families. We're not a model family and we never will be, but we love God and we love each other. Our relationships matter. Through joys and trials, we strive daily for something better. We strive for heaven. As I go along, I may comment on something that I've written, if it comes to my mind to do so. Chapter one is called Receptivity. Love is a verb. Here's a quick grammar lesson. A verb is an action word, a doing word, not a noun as in here, look, I've got some love. Even in instances where we use it as a noun, such as my love for you is never ending, it implies the nature of love. For example, action. My love, the ability to be loving, act towards you with love, is never-ending. Love is something we do. It's not a flippant verb either, although we tend to use it flippantly. I love your dress, I love this weather, I love jelly donuts. You would not act towards these things with actual love, the verb. I love your dress so much that I would protect it from dishonor. I love this weather so much that I would stand by it even in crises. I love jelly donuts so much that I would dash in front of a moving vehicle to save it from harm. I don't think so. Love is a verb. It is an act of the will. We try to employ as parents methods methods of discipline that will enable our children to grow into the kind of adults we want them to be. It is frustrating and discouraging when we don't see those results. Sometimes we even dig ourselves bigger holes when we're trying to get our kids to do something or behave a certain way. We come we become desperate. What then? What now? One purpose of this book is to provide Catholic parents with some thoughts on disciplining children in a Christian context. Our reference point is love, but the main purpose is to provide tools to remember why we approach child-rearing thoughtfully, to remember what the purpose of marriage is, where the children came from, and why we're doing this. Remembering is the hard part. 
Parents need more than tools. They need grounding and reassurance and to be steeped in understanding. In times of family crisis, misbehavior of children included in that, in fact, this is sometimes the major reason for family crisis. Remembering is always the hard part. Most of us intend when we have children to guide them lovingly and nurture them tenderly so that our children will know the love of God more fully. But we don't know how challenging it is sometimes simply to be loving. We can turn to scripture, the teachings of the Catholic Church, papal documents, and many influential and inspiring Catholic writers to better understand human interaction or relationships. We can adopt personal mentors. Over my years of motherhood, I've had many earthly mentors, and through them I've often gained insight. Sometimes we gain insight or wisdom from our own children. All around us, we find insight, encouragement, and sustenance when our thoughts turn to discipline. The world offers us many ideas and ideals in the way we raise our children. Some of these ideas and ideals the world offers are not effective. Some are loving and some are not. As Catholic parents, we need to get our bearings in raising children by first considering whether the choices we make are centered in Christ. Married life brings many challenges. If you're married, you'll know what I'm talking about. Many of the challenges are our offspring. Despite the joy children bring parents, our children's behavior is high on the list of marital stressors. We never imagined how low we could sink in the business of raising children. I've had exceptionally sweet mothers and calm and composed fathers sweep me aside in confidence, admitting that they never knew they could get this angry until they had children. You mean like every day, sister? I think I might know what you're talking about. In raising children, we encounter our highest highs and our lowest lows. Managing children's behavior or securing cooperation has how we spend a large part of our day. Our own opinions on discipline are derived from what we've read or heard or how we were raised or the examples of others around us that either captivated or repelled us. But usually all three of these make up how we were formed and most significantly how we respond to our children's behavior. So I just want to repeat the first line of that paragraph. Managing children's behavior or securing cooperation is how we spend a large part of our day. That's why it's so important to think about how you want to do this to make it as loving and as uh, straightforward as possible. Okay, it's not going to be easy, but you can make it easier by simplifying the way that we parent. There is a huge range of approaches available to us, and there are extremes that we are likely to avoid. For example, we can be unbending, valuing rules over relationships, or we can be lenient, hoping to avoid conflict and reduce tension in our homes. Thoughtful parents recognize that these two extremes lack the fearlessness, fortitude, warmth, and levity to effectively form our children's hearts. Unaware of a more authentic approach, parents often settle for rewards or consequences. Techniques that use rewards and consequences can seem benign for dealing with behavior with the, without the extremes of harsh or lenient, the appearance of a middle way. I'd like to spend some time examining the negative side of a reward or consequence structure, also known as the carrot and stick approach. Relationships don't flourish in this system. Reward or consequence practices undermine the inherent dignity of the person. There are alternatives to change behavior and nurture cooperation. An authentic middle way is compassion, consolation, and tenderness. 
characteristic methods to guide our children create relationship and respect obstacles that deeply affect our day-to-day family life. Consideration of the shortcomings, spiritual and temporal, of the reward or consequence approach to child rearing is worth our time. There are alternatives that can help change behavior and nurture cooperation. An authentic middle way involves compassion, consolation, and tenderness. If we drift from God, we are less likely to do his holy will. If our children drift from us, they are less likely to do our will. Emotional distance compromises guiding influence. Our relationships with our children prepare them to be in relationship with God. The rewards or consequences system lacks dignity for both the master and the pupil because it is contractual, an agreement between people, a bargain. Love and Christian marriage and relationships within it are not a contract. These relationships are covenantal. A covenant is a gift, a promise, an exchange of lives between persons that act together in harmony with the precepts of the Gospels. Covenant infers a relationship of trust. Kindness and compassion are virtues working in harmony with the Gospels. Kindness and compassion on our part transmit dignity. Mindfulness of our children's inherent dignity discourages drifting. We'll be looking more closely throughout the following chapters at the subtle and significant difference between rewards and consequences, contract, and relational covenant manners of responding to our children. Development of the conscience will be arrested if we do not grasp our inherent dignity, our inalienable rights in our formative years. Formation is well-ordered when we experience this inherent dignity from those closest to us. One critical aspect of being in authentic relationship with God, our family, and all those we journey with is living with a desire to draw closer to God through conversion. Conversion is a direct consequence of an authentically Christian life. Constantly and steadfastly, we must ever turn our hearts back to God, regardless of where we are in our spiritual life. Conversion is a moral change, a turning toward or returning to God. In conversion, we change our thoughts or our actions to align more closely with God's will. Conversion is a lifelong process. We never stop converting. God is constantly calling us to himself, to metanoia, to transformation, to a more profound love for him. Most of us can look back and call to mind moments when God called us and we did not respond. We also look back, recognize his mo- recognizing moments when we responded to the call of a deeper conversion and experience grace, spiritual maturing, and a deeper love for him. It's important to examine why we respond to God's call in our lives and why sometimes we don't. Looking back in my own life, on the times when I converted, drew closer to God, and grew spiritually, there existed one critical feature. Those are the times that I was receptive. A softness of heart, a humility, and a willingness to listen. These are the conditions that render us most receptive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We are receptive when we feel safe, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, and when we do not harden our hearts. We are receptive when we understand that God is holding out his hand and guiding us gently. A quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, To convert somebody, take him by the hand and guide him. 
There is a period of my life that I consider to be my conversion because I moved from not wondering or caring about God and how he fit into my life to wondering about God and my relationship with him. Like most people, though, my conversion really happened in stages, a bit at a time, as I was ready. There are many moments of conversion in my own life. And while these were personal and subjective, there are some universal aspects to ongoing conversion, primarily an openness to the will of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit. When I was open, I grew spiritually. Just after the birth of my youngest child in 2006, I became critically ill. Despite all the medical testing for weeks, no one could determine what was wrong with me. I was dying. I became emaciated and was eventually hospitalized when I was in so much pain that I could no longer be cared for at home. This desperate and life-threatening situation put me into a receptive disposition. I simply accepted what was. I didn't rail against it or question God's will for my life. When we're faced with death, we can become either submissive or rebellious. By the grace of God, I was submissive. Finally, a CT scan revealed the problem. A portion of my small intestine was completely blocked. A section would have to be repaired or removed. When the surgeon came into my hospital room after the CT scan to tell us the news that the problem was fixable, he was jubilant. I would have surgery that day. There was no time to lose. My husband and I burst into tears. They could fix me. Albert proceeded to call our children, our family and friends, and with each phone call he wept. He was sitting on the end of the bed making phone call after phone call. He wept repeatedly. I watched him amazed. I knew he loved me, but that he loved me this much, I didn't know that I thought it was possible. On the heels of that idea, I thought, well, if Albert loves me this much, how much must God love me? It was the first sense I have of omnipotent love and his personal love for me. Albert wept for me. Jesus died for me. <laughs> 